So if you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. I'm going to read in just a second, verses 1 through 13. We continue our series Sunday evening on prayer. Last time, two weeks ago, we talked about what is prayer. And tonight we're going to actually discuss why pray. And the answer, you had a little teaser this morning. You had it in my letter, and you had a little teaser from Wes this morning. Why pray? Because God changes... Dot, 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 dot. More to come on that statement. Okay. So out of reverence for God's word as it is read, please join me by standing as we read Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. You've got to stop right there. Here's the eternal Son of God. The one who's always been in communion with the Father. The eternal Son of God who became man and so was and continues to be God and man and two distinct natures and one person forever. And what is He doing? Praying. He's communing with His Father. That's what children do. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught His disciples. And He said to them, when you pray, say. Now in Matthew 6, He says, when you pray, pray like this, and then He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Notice here, He's going to give us a version of the Lord's Prayer, and so He says, when you pray, say. So the Lord's Prayer is both a guideline, but it is also by Jesus meant to be a prayer that we use. And so notice what he says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. Notice that's present active tense. Ask and keep on asking. Ask and it will be given you. Seek, present active tense. Seek and you will find. Knock, present active tense. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We bemoan, bemoan our prayerlessness, Lord God. But we also acknowledge sometimes our prayer righteousness. We beg you, we who come to you as children to a Father ready and able to help, that you would send the Spirit to blow through our hearts and our desires to fill our prayers and persons with refreshment and invigoration. All for Christ's sake we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. You can see those there. And there are some quotations at the very bottom, at the very end, that we'll, you'll have. I'll, I've got a ton of quotations, but I gave you the, the ones I wanted you to walk out of here with for sure. <laughs> in there. 
So uh, T.M. Moore, T, it's initials, T, period, M, period, Moore, uh, used to be a PCA pastor. I think he's still a PCA pastor. Um, he wrote a book years ago called God's Prayer Program. It's actually a book promoting using the Psalms in prayer. But in the first part of this book, he tells a story. He recounts the story of a woman. Her tale was a sad tale, a sad account of unremitting depression and how she tried every remedy, even consulting numerous physicians for some relief. At the end of her account, TM asked her, so this is something he actually experienced, have you thanked God for your depression? Hmm. Well, she immediately responded with indignant ire. That's abnormal, she said. TM goes on then to observe. Precisely. It's normal for us to worry about everything, pray about nothing, and complain without ceasing. But God counsels us to follow a different track. End of quotation. I love that statement. Now we may not appreciate T.M. Moore's approach that he took with this woman. I don't think I would have said it that way. You know, asked her if she had given thanks for the depression. I'm sure Hal does that in his counseling sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Have you given thanks to God for that depression? Right? But that's just probably not the where we would go. But I do appreciate his observation. It is quite, quite telling. We love, it seems like we love normally to worry about everything, pray about nothing, and complain without ceasing. We normally like to worry about those things. We like to complain and all of that. But pray, and so that's the normal. So prayer then becomes the abnormal. Prayer is the abnormal thing for us. And so tonight, we answer the question, why pray? And we do so acknowledging that the question and the subject is abnormal for us. Now it shouldn't be, but it really is in our lived experience. It is abnormal for us. When was the last time you were in a car accident? Anybody been in a car accident recently? What was the first thing out of your mouth? Was it, thank God I'm still alive? Was it, thank you Jesus? Was it, was it, Lord, help the driver in the other car who hit me? Was that the first words out of your mouth? Okay, don't tell me what the first words were. I don't want to know. But I probably wasn't prayer. Your normal knee-jerk reaction tells you what's normal for you. Right? And so prayer is abnormal. So we need to acknowledge the que- that the question and the subject is abnormal for us and that we often would rather worry about everything, pray about nothing, and complain without ceasing. And so tonight, our answer to the pro- question, why pray, the answer to the question is because God changes. Now before you tar and feather me, you can already cheat and look at the sermon notes and you see where I'm going to go with this, okay? But why pray? Because God changes. And first off, notice He changes our relationship with Him. Why pray? Because God changes our relationship with Him. This is not talking about salvation. This is for those who care about God, right? For those who are His his children. It changes our relationship with Him. Notice how it begins. Jesus, our Lord, who is the eternal Son of God, we find Him doing what? Praying. That's what children do. They like to spend time with their father, their parents. Okay? And so when Jesus tells us to pray, He says... When you pray, say. And what's the first word out of his mouth? Once he says, when you pray, say. What's the first word? Father, it changes your relationship. You're coming, as our shorter catechism says, you're coming to as children to a father who is able and ready 
to help us. And that's a totally different way to approach God than what some people do. So most people, because maybe because of bad dads. There are bad dads. Maybe because of abusive male figures in their, in your li- in their life or whatever. They approach God not as a father who loves them and is ready and able to help them. They approach Him as somebody they've got to bargain with. Somebody they have to schmooze. Somebody they have to cheat. Somebody they have to lie to. Somebody they have to finagle with because He really doesn't care. So the very first thing, why pray? Because God changes our relationship with Him through prayer. We can come and we can say, Father! I don't know about you, but that's exciting news! So when we pray, we say Father. Our point is very existential, individual, and experimental. It changes our perception. Why pray? Because it changes our perception of our relationship with God. It challenges us to draw near, to draw upon God, to draw near to Him, to draw our hearts up close to Him. As I said, the Shorter Catechism puts it this way, as, a, to a, as children to a father who is able and ready to help us. Did you hear both those words? He's able and ready to help us. I think it was James Dodson. He probably stole it from somebody because every good teacher steals everything they have. So I'm just telling you. But I think it was James Dodson. It's the first time I ever heard it. James Dodson, years and years ago, uh, we were watching at a Baptist church in the 1981 or 80 or something. I don't remember. In, in Colorado Springs, we were watching um, the 35 millimeter reel to reel film. You remember this? And then when it melts, you know, blah, 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 blah. So we're watching this James Dobson raising your children. We didn't have any kids at the time, but it was fun to go watch. And I think it was he, he's the one who said, I first time I ever heard it, that when he's talking about the parent child relationship, he said something like this Children spell love, T I M E. Children spell love, T-I-M-E, time. And in fact, I would say that our marriages, our wives, guys, and ladies, the guys do too, you just don't know it, but spell love, T-I-M-E. I mean, there's just so much truth to that little pithy statement, right? And so that's the idea, quantity time that has some uh, quality to it, uh, and love go together. And so why pray? Because God changes our relationship with Him there, as we draw near to Him, spending time with Him, we begin to sense that change, that relationship, because we're loving Him, and we're loving being with Him. I mean, Wes told that story today about being forgotten. By the way, Wes and I do not compare notes, ever. Ever. So if any of this sounds like what he just said this morning, it probably is, and you can thank the Holy Spirit, or the fact we're two KC Cowboys or something, I don't know. But that story of being forgotten, right? And just feeling lonely. But you spend time with God and you enjoy spending time with God in prayer that just builds and just grows and fosters that sense of love. It's coming to Him with that attitude of a dependent spirit where you are linking, where your, where your impotence is being linked to God's omnipotence. Being pulled up close to spend time with God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is part and parcel of our changing relationship with Him. Time and love go together. And so, if, I could, if you get nothing else, just get the first point. If nothing else, why pray? Because God changes our relationship with Him. It goes along with what I said two weeks ago. That the place of actually enjoying God, to steal a line from, from um, John Piper, 
What's our chief end of man to glorify God by enjoying Him forever? It all fits so importantly. It was Augustine who told, tells us in a ton of his sermons how manipulative it is to want God's things, but not to want the God of the things. Right? To want God's things, but not to want the, to want the God of those things. Does that make sense? Actually, I'd rather have your stuff than you. Right? Think about it, if that was in a marriage, what would that marriage be like? Right? Think if that was in your family, child, parent relationship, what would that be like? Wanting just your stuff, not you. No, it's wanting Him first and foremost. And so, why pray? Because God changes us in our praying, changes our relationship in our praying. But there's more, and it goes on with the next part. God changes us in our asking. God changes us in our asking. And that's, again, right there in verses 5 through 8. And so Jesus tells this story. And really, we, we, I think we read the story in the wrong way. We often read the story as encouragement for us to be pounding on God's door, which is fine. That is part of what the story's about. But really, it's a... It's a from the lesser to the greater kind of story. If your next door neighbor is your friend and somebody comes to you in the middle of the night and you've got hospitality on the brain and you host them at your house and you realize, and this would have happened all the time in the Middle East because nobody had refrigerators, you know what I'm saying? You had to go every day to the marketplace to go get your food. So if you didn't have any food left over from this afternoon, you don't got any food, period, Right? And so you, you're hosting a friend that comes in the middle of the night and you realize I, there's, no, there's no food. And so you go to your next door neighbor who's your friend and you, you're knocking on his door, boom, boom, boom. And he says, because he's a human, I'm not getting out of bed, right? I got the alarm set. I'm not getting out of bed. I got all this stuff. I, I'm not getting out of bed. And so a regular sinful human is won over by impudence. Do you get it? That's the point of the story. And that's the case with a sinful human who lives next door. Then how much more willing is God able and wanting to answer you who's not a sinful human? In fact, that's kind of where Jesus goes at the end of this, right? When He talks about if you being fathers are evil, but still you wouldn't give your sons bad gifts, how much more is your Father, your Heavenly Father, willing to give you good gifts? Do you get it? Okay, so that's really the impetus in what Jesus is driving at. That's the story there. And that's one of the changes that goes on in, is that prayer actually exposes our real desires. That's the other side of this. How does God, uh, why pray? Because God changes us in our asking. And one of the ways that He changes us is He's actually exposing our real desire in praying. That's why He goes on to say, ask. In the present act of ongoing tense, ask and keep on asking and you will receive. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and you, the door will be open to you. It's about, it is about persistence because the persistence really exposes not, doesn't force God to change what He's going to do. It actually forces you to see what's really important to you. Does that make sense? It really exposes what's really most important to you. I mean, too often we ask in our prayers with little to no heart. Too often we ask with suspicion. Too often we ask with little confidence. It's kind of like King Ahaziah that Alan was reading about in 2 Kings, who had no confidence in the God of Israel. 
And so he went looking for answers in all the wrong places to change that country and Western song, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. He started looking for answers in all the wrong places because he had no confidence in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His confidence was in Baalzebub, the Lord of the Flies. There's a book waiting there. Oh, wait, there is a book out there. And so that's what James is, is addressing here is that it exposes what we really want. I mean, you read in a letter, I put it out some weeks back, I think it was D.A. Carson that pointed out that most of us in our praying are like the nasty little boys who go to the front porch of the neighbor's house, ring the doorbell, and run. Right? Most of us are like, and I did this, by the way, so this really resonated with me. I was that nasty little boy that used to knock on the doors of the neighbors and run. I didn't want them to answer. I didn't expect them to answer, but I hoped they would answer, but not with me there. I would run off, right? Most time in our prayer, we're like that. We throw it out there, and then we run off, and don't wait for the answer. Because it's really not the it's not really what we're looking for. So it exposes, this is how God is changing us in prayer. It exposes what we really want. James addresses our little confidence in prayer. Clear off in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, ready and able to help, who gives generously to all without reproach. I mean, there's that. That line alone is worth a whole sermon or two. Who gives generously without reproach. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Has anybody ever been on a boat on Lake Eufaula when the wind comes? I see one head. Two heads. Two hands. Yes. There are three. Yes, it is. Your life is at risk. I'm just going to say, it's scary when that wind starts blowing and your boat is doing this. And it's not a heavy wind, but I mean, it didn't take much and Lake fall is just chaos. And you're like that boat, up and down, up and down, front and back, front and back, going, and you're just not steady. That's the point. It's like the person who's like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. He's a person who's got two voices shouting at each other in his head unstable in all his ways. And so in prayer, the how, why pray? Because God changes us in our praying and part of how He's changing us is exposing to us, helping us to see what it is we really want and what we're really determined for, we really long for. Another part of how God changes us in our asking is that in prayer we come to see at times that we maybe have actually asked the wrong thing. We've been praying for the wrong thing or we have asked for the wrong reason. So again, in James 4, James 4, verse 2, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sometimes prayer, in prayer, God is changing us in our asking because He's exposing at times that we're asking the wrong thing, or we're asking for the wrong reason. So let me give you some examples here. Here's a funny, just a silly example. Let's say that you were convinced that every woman, because of 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, every woman in the church should be wearing a veil. And if they're not wearing a veil, they're not pleasing God. And you're just convinced to the guilts. Okay? And so you start praying for every woman in the church to see it right like you do. 
Right? You get it? Right? And you start praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, you're praying for days, you're praying for weeks, and it doesn't happen. And you argue with God. God, don't you look, look at your own word. You even put this in there, right? And you're, you're arguing with God about it, and nothing happens. Sometimes God is actually doing that, and the intention is to remind you you don't actually understand what's in Scripture. And it's in those moments you end up stepping back and going, oh, Lord, am I asking the wrong thing? Or I misunderstood Scripture? Has anybody ever misunderstood Scripture? Don't answer that question. Has anybody ever prayed with that misunderstanding? Isn't it good that sometimes, like Wes was, again today, with his country and western song, sometimes it's good that there's unanswered prayer. But there is an answer, because God is changing us in our prayer. So I've told you the story about my mom and dad. So they were just outright, I mean, we grew up in church, and then they just blew church off forever, it seemed like. And I prayed for them for three, almost three decades. My dad was the kind of guy who would say, uh, if I'd say, Dad, I want to talk to you, he'd say, Son, there's two things you don't talk about in a bar. Religion and politics. If you deal one of those, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. You know. And so it was, as I'm praying for them, I'm praying for 20, it was 27, it was 27 years exactly. Praying for them. Praying for the opportunity to evangelize them. Praying for, for their hearts to change. Praying for them to do all those things. And all that was right. There was nothing wrong with what I was praying for. But what finally came to my mind was, I'm not their pastor and I'm not their evangelist. I'm called to be their son. And it made me stop and go, and, and I was praying, Lord, I don't know that I've been a good son. And I was in my 40s at this point. I don't know that I've been a good son. And I finally realized, Lord, you're going to have to send an evangelist and a pastor to them. I just need to be their son. I sent my dad a letter and said, Dad, I'm really, really sorry. I don't feel like I've been a very good son. Could you forgive me? I don't know what you're talking about, boy. Okay, thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. That's how he gave forgiveness. Anyways, and so then I started working at it. And I, I was, but the prayer, prayer. God, why pray? I'll tell you, personal experience, why pray? Because God changes us in our asking. And that was my experience. God changes us in our asking. Sometimes it makes us stop and go, am I asking the right things? Do I understand Scripture or not? Maybe I've misunderstood Scripture. Okay? And then sometimes we're praying the right stuff, but we're not right. And God changes us. I think that's a good way to put it. So, and so my friends... Um, um, and I, uh, I've already given you all that. Okay, so Doug Kelly puts this in his book. And this is a great book, by the way. I've recommended it before. Doug Kelly, is a ref uh, he's retired now, but he was a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson and then in Charlotte. And uh, John Robert Biggs went to Charlotte to go get in Doug Kelly's classes. And as soon as John Robert showed up, Doug Kelly retired. What was the deal? I don't know. Poor Doug. Poor, poor John Robert. But this is a great book. It's called If God Already Knows, Why Pray? Thoroughgoing Calvinist. Right? This guy is, and it's a great book. It's not printing anymore, so you've got to buy a used copy. But it is worth having, reading through, and putting in your library, and going back and reviewing it on occasion. But Doug Kelly, and I actually have two Doug Kelly quotes, but let me give you one of them right now. I think he's right when he's, when he, he's correct when he writes this. Quote, God is working to change us through our asking, through all that He allows to come into our lives, through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, 
through the providences, the hard things, the hurtful things, and the happy things. He is active in all these things to shape us into the likeness of Jesus so that we will be at the place where the Holy Spirit is able to intercede, work, and plead inside us, reflecting the tones of the voice of Jesus. Ultimately, it is not so much what we ask, but who we are when we pray that counts the most. What a convicting statement, but it really helpful. Ultimately, it is not so much what we ask, but who we are when we pray that counts most. And so why pray? Because God changes us in our asking. Here's the third one. Why pray? Because God changes others by our asking. Notice the end of Jesus' stories. He's talking about us asking, seeking, finding, knocking, and all those things. And then he talks about fathers. Um, what father among you, if he has son asks for a fish, will give us a serpent. If he asks for an egg, will give a scorpion. Uh, if, then, if you then are, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, Jesus is not really necessarily aiming where I'm going with this, but still, if we can ask for the Holy Spirit for us, surely we can ask for the Holy Spirit for others, right? And to know that the Father is able and is ready and is able and ready to help us. Able and ready to answer that. So we can. We can be praying for others. So just as a little plug, I know that Peter and Janie and Don and Jean and Jerry and Cindy uh, have been started this evening, started a prayer meeting at 515 on Sunday evenings before services. And it's, it's about praying for God to change some folks, right? It is. And so I would encourage you, if you're interested in that, to be a part of that. I think that's good. But that's exactly right. God, we, why pray? Because God changes others by our asking. So I used to have this little book. I have no idea where this book is, but I did find an electronic copy of it. But J.I. Packer wrote a wonderful little booklet called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Anybody ever read that? Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. J.I. Packer, I highly recommend it for a host of reasons. But the first eight pages of that teeny-weeny little book is about prayer. The first eight pages is about prayer. And Packer never says this, but this is what he's driving at. What his theme is, is that every Christian, no matter how Armenian they may be, every Christian on his knees is a Calvinist. And that's great. Every Christian praying is a Calvinist. I mean, you know that when you hear them say, Dear God, convert them. That's Calvinism, baby. Right? Dear God, stop this. Change that. That's Calvinism. Because only God is in control in the end. Right? So I love the way J.I. Packer puts it. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but there it is. And so he makes this eight-page case that on our knees in prayer, every praying Christian is a Calvinist. And he points out that on our, in our prayers, uh, that we believe that, that God is the one who gives us our daily bread. And so we pray that way. We give thanks for our own conversion, knowing our stubborn hearts, and that it was a miracle that we were converted, some of us, right? Yeah? And so we give thanks for that, like a Calvinist would that He's the one who brought us to faith. And so we turn the corner then and we start praying for God to convert others, for God to change their hearts, God to enlighten them, and so forth. And so we, why pray? We pray because God changes others by our asking. Again, I've just used the example of my parents. 
It wasn't on my time schedule. I wanted the answer the first time I prayed for them. You know what I'm saying? 27 years later, I quit. I actually quit praying. I said, God, obviously you don't care about their conversion, so I'm done. I'm sorry, but sometimes I get frustrated and I talk like that. Three years later, on Mother's Day, I call my mom to wish her a happy Mother's Day. You know what she says? Mike, what did you preach on at your church on Mother's Day? Well, Mom, I don't do a Mother's Day at our church. Well, my preacher said, oh, you're what? You know, I've been going to church for a year. What? Right? It was like God was just, I mean, it was wonderful. It wasn't on my time schedule. It was on his time schedule. I think that's really important, but he does. The reason why we pray is because God changes, by our prayers, God changes others in our asking. And so let us be encouraged. Um, let us be encouraged that God does actually change others by our asking. Okay, that is extremely important for us to have. And I'm sure we could all tell tales. We could all talk about things that happen where yeah, we prayed, and this, this politician who was in government actually changed his tune, or this lawyer, this judge changed their tune, or my kids did this, and I wasn't prepared for that, or my mother, who I thought was forever crusty old anti-Christian, all of a sudden singing Jesus hymns and stuff. What? We all could probably talk about that. And if you can't, well, let's talk. I mean, maybe we need to... Go back through some history. Maybe there's more there than you have been wanting to see. Sometimes there's that problem too, right? So, let us be encouraged. There is one cautionary item I want to make up, and I was so mad that Wes brought this up today because I, he stole my thunder. It's right here. There's one cautionary item which connects the previous point, why pray because God changes us in our praying, and this point, why pray because God changes others by our asking. And the cautionary um, item is this. There must be humility in our praying. There must be humility. I mean, humility that actually walks in step with our Lord Jesus. I'm always amazed. In Matthew 26, 39, here is the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, being weighed down by my sins and yours. And feeling the darkness of it. And he says to, to his Father, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here's the humility. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that has to be our stance. I remember um, an old, two old, some friends of mine who were recovering alcoholics. This is back in the 1980s. They were working their program. It was wonderful. And one of them was telling me while he was smoking cigarettes. I think he changed his drug of choice because he smoked like his chimney, right? And he was standing there smoking. He was talking about, you know, what the problem was, Mike, is that I always was praying all the time while I was a drunk. God, why don't you do it my way? That's why I medicated so much, because I wanted it my way. The moment for me that changed me was when I finally realized, no, that's what's getting me into trouble, wanting it always my way. And I started saying, God, not what I will, but what you will. And that was the moment for him. When he hit rock bottom, he used the AA terms, boom, and he realized, oh, I've been wanting to be the controller of all the outcomes. And he gave it up. Not my will, but yours be done. I think C.S. Lewis is right that on the day, on that day of judgment, somebody's going to hear somebody saying, your will be done. Those who will be going to hell will hear the Father saying, okay, 
your will be done. And those entering into God's eternity will be saying to the Father, no, your will be done. And so that humility is extremely, extremely important. This humility is the working out of our attitude of a dependent spirit. Our attitude of a dependent spirit. It's linking our impotence to God's omnipotence. And so why pray? Because God changes others by our asking. But there's still one more reason, at least for tonight. There's probably a lot more reasons, but here we go. And it's the fact that God... Why pray? Because God changes outcomes that seem inevitable. I'm going to say it again. Why pray? Because God changes outcomes that seem inevitable. Look back at this story, this whole thing, from verse 1 to verse 13. The inevitable outcome is that the friend next door will not come out of that house to give bread. That's the inevitable outcome. But he's pounding on the door with impotence. Well, if a sinful man, if the outcome from a sinful neighbor can be changed then you can have confidence that the reason why you pray is because outcomes can be changed from the inevitable. Does that make sense? And I think that's extremely important for us and gives us some confidence when we're praying. I'm encouraged again by Doug Kelly's observation in his book. Let me see if this is the one you've got there. This is the quotation you have in your sermon notes. It's that big, big one there. Today... Just as in Old Testament times, human resources are not enough. Your voting schemes, your PACs, all your special interest groups, whatever you're doing, human resources are not enough. If we're going to win the battles, for example, against secularism, humanism, and the occult, and throw in other things that terrify you, LGBTQ, other things, throw them in there. If we're going to win the battles, for example, against secularism, humanism, and the occult, and against evil things in our own lives, we have got to hold up one another's hands in intercession. You remember the story? While Joshua's out fighting against the Amalekites, where's Moses? He's way up there on Pisgah, I think it is. And what's happening to his hands, right? His arms are getting tired. What's happening to his hands? Aaron and Hur. What are they doing? Holding up his hands. What's Moses doing with his hands up? He's actually praying for Joshua. We've got to be like Aaron and Hur and hold up each other's hands in, this, in prayer. Okay, That's what uh, Kelly's after here. Oftentimes, often it is, the, it is tiresome to intercede. It wears us down. But we must do it to win the battle and turn the tide. God is saying that to His church. I think that's exactly what we need to be saying to each other. Have we prayed about it? I said it last time, two weeks ago, and I still believe this. And I think Christians in North America are some of the whiniest, complainingest people I've ever met. We love to complain about everything all the time. We do it on Facebook, we do it on Instagram. We do it in person. We do it in letters. We do it all the stinking time. When was the last time we got together and actually got on our knees and prayed about those things? And prayed through them? Why would we do that? Because in prayer, by prayer, God changes the outcomes that seem inevitable. Are you, are you, is anybody here a Christian? Okay. The inevitable outcome was you weren't going to be. 
And look at you're here. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. That's hugely important. When we were in Midland, Texas, Jerry and Cindy, when, as soon as we got there, this would have been June of 2002. That was a million years ago. And Jerry and Cindy said, Pastor, do you know there's an abortion clinic downtown? Everything in Midland was like seven minutes away, so this was an easy drive, right? There's an abortion clinic downtown. Have you ever thought about going down? Oh, I'll be glad to go down there. So I went down there and started going. They would do abortions on every Friday. It was Planned Parenthood, but it was the, the abortion arm, which is called actually Planned Parenthood Choice. That's the part of Planned Parenthood that doesn't take government funds officially. Okay? And so that was the day they were doing abortions. So I started going down there every Friday. And sometimes folks from our church would come. But most of the time I was surrounded. I was the Protestant minister wearing the clerical collar. There were no Catholic priests around, right? So there's the Protestant minister with the clerical collar down there. And I was surrounded almost all the time by Roman Catholics. All the time. And so we, there were some great stories out of this, but let me just narrow this to one, okay? So we prayed. We prayed all the time for 10 years. But that abortion clinic would be closed down. There's some heartbreaking stories out of this as well. But we prayed all the time. We prayed every Friday. We prayed throughout the week that this place would be closed down. Did it for 10 years. It was still standing when I left. And within a year after I got here, it closed down. Wow! Why pray? Because God, through our prayers, God changes outcomes that seem inevitable. Well, that's why we pray. Here's how Leonard Ravenhill put it in his book, Revival Praying. It's one of those quotations that's, that I really is worth repeating to you. And it's there also in your sermon notes. The church that prays will be a prevailing church. The church that prays will be a prevailing church. So let me wrap this up or pretend to wrap it up, something like that. There's a fellow named E.M. Bounds. E, it's initials. I don't know why these guys always have initials. My dad did that too. But E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds, just for truth and advertising, E.M. Bounds was a Confederate Army chaplain and he was a Methodist minister. So if you read anything from him, just know he was a Methodist minister, very Arminian in many ways. Okay, And just realize also his connections. He was a Confederate Army chaplain. Yet long after the Civil War was over with, he uh, Bounds wrote a bunch of books. He wrote eight books in total. This one is actually the complete works. This is all eight volumes in here. He wrote eight volumes on prayer. He's famous. That's what everybody remembers for. If they ever remember him for anything, is on his books on prayer. It's worth reading. If you ever want to feel both simultaneously enthused and embarrassed, you need to read Ian Bounds. You'll read him and you realize you're such a loser when it comes to prayer. And you're encouraged to jump in there and start praying. That's what I mean by enthused and embarrassed at the same time, right? There'll be other things in there that you'll want to quibble with. But overall, that's what he does in his books. Well, in, in a book that he penned in 1912, he made an observation, an impressive observation He's writing primarily in this one book to, to pastors. And so this is going to be male terminology for pastors, but you can include all of us. But He's writing about this impressive observation about how we often look to techniques and we often look to formulas to grow churches, for example. And here's what he says, quote, What the church needs today is not mere machinery or better, not new organizations, or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. 
The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. Now we can quibble with some of his details, but I think you easily get the point. That's what we should be. And so instead of being normal, where we worry about everything, pray about nothing, and complain without ceasing, let's be abnormal, right? And as we, we do that, we find we're with Jesus. Where is Jesus? Praying to the Father. He's opened that door for us. When He saved us, He brought us in. That's where we should be with Him, up close to the Father, right? So let's be abnormal, and let's pray. Let's approach prayer that God may change our relationship with Him. Number one, let's approach prayer that God may change our relationship with Him. Number two, let's approach prayer that God would change me, change you, that God would change me. Thirdly, let's approach prayer that God will change others. And fourthly, let us approach prayer anticipating that God will change outcomes that seem inevitable. So I love the little quotation from William Cooper that I put on our, our flyer for this sermon series. And I just, I'm going to quote, we're going to quote it at the end of each sermon because it's really very encouraging. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright and Satan tremble when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Praise Lord God in heaven, we do confess to you again our prayerlessness and our frustrations and our, our own issues. With uh, Sometimes we approach you with the wrong attitude. Sometimes we approach you with the wrong desires and outcomes that we wanted. And we pray that you would. Lord, please do change us in our praying. Thank you that you do change our relationship. Help us to find you really a father who is able and ready to help us. That we would cherish and relish being with you in those times of prayer. You change us. Hear our prayers that we pray for our children, our moms, our dads, our neighbors, fellow church members, friends that we know, co-workers. We pray that you would change them as we pray for them. Lord, help us to come to you with that confidence we have in Jesus Christ who is interceding with us the confidence that we have with the Holy Spirit interceding through us to come and pray to you knowing that you change the outcomes that seem inevitable. Lord, hear us as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.